to the Pinstripe Podcast. Listen, I get it. It's really weird to hear my voice because last week you got all Scotty. This week you have no Scotty. It's just me. It's hard to get matching schedules with the two of us right now. We're we're pretty busy. I have a full-time job in baseball. Scotty has a job, has baseball, has school. We're busy people. Hopefully we'll be back together next week and we can figure this all out. But listen, I've got a lot to talk about. A lot happened this week. The format of uh, this episode is going to be a little bit different than other ones. But you know what? I'm sure you'll follow along. I'm sure I'll hit all the points that any of you want to hear about. So let's get right into it. Obviously, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. And that is... Corey Kluber threw a no-hitter. Hi, this is currently Wednesday night, Lexi. Nope, that's a lie. It is Thursday night, Lexi. Um, So this was originally recorded, as you'll hear throughout the episode, on Wednesday night. And I said, I think at one point, you know, I don't want to jinx what Corey Kluber is going to do tonight. Honey, I didn't. Corey Kluber threw an absolutely beautiful game last night. I am so very fortunate to have been able to watch it Watch it since the third inning, I believe I turned it on. Nine innings, one walk, 101 pitches. It was a gem. Him and Kyle Higashioka were on the absolute same page the entire time. It was, it was poetry in motion. It was beautiful. And for him to do it in Arlington... After the Rangers didn't re-sign him last year, I think was just absolute perfection. Um, I do want to give, before I um, I go on here, I do want to give Tyler Wade a lot of credit. I think in this episode, I do kind of rag on him a little bit. I don't take it all back because, you know, he is sometimes frustrating to watch. I think um, Mike Ford will get sent back to AAA before Tyler Wade does But that's not saying that Tyler Wade should be an everyday player in any means. Tyler Wade did so much for this no-hitter. Okay, first of all, he obviously scored the run. He had a triple to right center field that scored Higashioka. He later came around to score on a sack fly off DJ LeMayhew. But also, for him to be able to go in for Ryan Lamar after Lamar pulled his hamstring and play a position that he does not traditionally play make at least two plays, one in both the eighth and ninth inning, is something that is very commendable and you have to give him applause and congratulations for because it is so difficult. One, you know, he was not prepared to play that day. He wasn't in the starting lineup. To be tossed in and do anything on either side of the ball is impressive, but to be tossed in and make key important plays on both sides of the ball is amazing. That ball in the ninth inning, when it was hit, I was like, oh my God, this is it. Like the, he he lost it with one out in the ninth inning. That blows. And then Wade was there and he caught it. And maybe Tyler Wade's a better outfielder than he is an infielder because his, his path looked good. He's got the foot speed for it. Um, but I do want to say that... Uh, this this no-hitter, Corey Kluber said it best, you know, it goes on, down with his name on it, but it's a full-team effort. Corey Kluber threw an absolutely beautiful game. Tyler Wade stepping in and making an offensive contribution, which he has struggled to do so far this year. 
making defensive contributions in a position that he does not play is so impactful and so incredible. Kyle Higashioka and Corey Kluber were on the exact same page the entire time. I think Michael Kay said it somewhere in the seventh inning, is that I don't think Kluber shook off a pitch. Every time that Higgy put down a pitch, Kluber was like, yep, that's the one that I was thinking. That's the one we're throwing. It was beautiful. His breaking ball, because he doesn't say it's a curveball, it's not a slider, it's a clue ball. It's what he calls it. His breaking ball was beautiful, painting the corners. He started mixing his in his changeup as the game went on. It was, it was beautiful. And, you know, people are saying that, you know, the no-no's kind of lost its majesty because obviously there was one, I talk about it later in this episode, literally on Tuesday, or on Monday, sorry, and his was like the, the second one in 24 hours, it's the sixth one already. The most there have been in Major League history has been seven in a season. We might see seven in the first two months. I don't care watching it happen and watching like it build up and the emotions that like I as just a fan feel watching are insane. Um, I think Higgy and Tyler Wade both said, it. you know, Wade said it, this was the coolest thing he's ever been a part of in his entire life. Higgy said it felt like, like that must be what the world series feels like. It's, it, it, it it's something that you can never really put a name to. It's still something that is absolutely impossible to even imagine trying to accomplish. You know, they have 27 outs and they hit the ball and got nobody on base the entire time. It was it was beautiful and wonderful and I loved watching it and I loved seeing Corey Kluber do it. You know, I was, yeah, we'd love to see Garrett Cole do it. Of course you'd love to see Garrett Cole do it. I hope that he does it in his next seven or whatever years that we have him for. But I think Kluber doing it was just really poetic for someone who loves like the art of baseball and the stories that come with baseball. It was it was really well done. Um, he's also just become such a strong and beautiful two pitcher. I saw something today that was like, if we didn't have Garrett Cole, Corey Kluber is our ace, and and that's just so so wonderful to see. And anyway. Let's get on to the rest of the episode. Let's get on to the real elephant in the room that I was referring to before. John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Hicks. So hopefully, let's start with most positive outlook on all of this and that these are just short-term issues and that magically they're not going to turn into bigger problems. Um, John Carlos Stanton has a left quad strain. He's supposed to be back, scheduled to be back. By May 25th and Aaron Hicks is a bit more concerning he has a torn tender sheath wrist left wrist tender sheath I don't those words don't sound like they should all go together in a row but I'm pretty sure that's the order that they go um they're gonna try and give it more of a medicinal approach and we'll have the answer to that by the end of this weekend heads up to this is being recorded on Wednesday, so that means there are still Thursday and Friday and Wednesday night games um, to happen. So, you know, not as much baseball to cover here for me, but I promise you I will keep you entertained. I haven't talked shop in a hot minute. Um, so in regards to 
Hicks being out for the current moment. He has also been placed on the 10-day IL until further testing has proved other options. Ryan Lemar, Lemur, Lemur, Lamar, Lamar. That's the pronunciation. I knew I'd get there eventually. Ryan Lamar has been pulled up from AAA. I'm going to talk about the outfield a little bit later, so we'll cover that in a different time. Stanton broke my heart, you know, when I heard this because, I mean, he's been hitting the crap out of the ball, and he's been really a big heartbeat of our offense has been coming from Stanton's bat, and, you know, you hope that this doesn't turn into the same kind of 10-day IL bullshit that we heard last year that, you know, and then it ends up he's he's gone for two months. Um, you know, you hope that it works out well and you hope that everything that we're hearing from all different coverage is is being told truthfully and that they do really think that he's going to come back. I do have a lot of faith. You know, he hit batting practice today. They said he was in the gym lifting and such today because, you know, he definitely needs to get stronger. He's so weak. <laughs> um, I'm kidding. Um, but let's hope that it's a quick, quick heal and we see him back on the 25th. Um, I know that this was last week and covered in Scotty's episode, but I just really want to appreciate the fact that the Yankees won a series at the Trop. Let's just let that sit for, let's remind ourselves, you know, this Texas series has kind of stressed me out a little bit, not going to lie. You know, it shouldn't be stressful, but we haven't been playing our best. Um, And remembering that we won the series at the Trop and we haven't lost a series in a hot minute. You know, we are, we're playing like the fucking Yankees right now. And it, maybe not in all facets, you know, maybe we're, we're, scraping some things along but for what I think and looking at our record we're doing pretty damn fine and I think that we're sometimes getting a little bit picky um expecting us to be perfect and win every single game boo-boos happen um but I've, I've been very content and I just needed to really really revel in the fact that we did in fact beat the Rays at the Trop it was good to hear um, two more quick things before I dive into some stuff going on with the team during the week. ESPN announced that they are doing a six-part Derek Jeter documentary coming out in 2022 in partnership with the creators of The Last Dance. Listen, I didn't watch The Last Dance. I've been meaning to. I just haven't had the time to like put the energy into it that I know it deserves. But I've heard really, really great things about it, you know, and... I'm so excited to see what they do with the Derek Jeter documentary. I have seen concerns, which I agree. Jeter has always been kind of a more private person. The Last Dance had footage from Michael Jordan and his career that nobody had ever seen before. You know, he was actively kind of shooting stuff because he knew he was the best. You know, that was one thing that Michael Jordan made very, very clear. You know, he knew he was the best thing to happen to basketball. Um... And Derek Jeter, I don't know if he's going to have that same approach. I don't know what he's going to be willing to talk about. You know, will he talk about his relationship with Alex Rodriguez? Will he talk about, will it just be about like his baseball playing career? Will it be about his career and his work in Miami with the Marlins? Will he talk about like 
scandals and what he was like away from baseball. You know, I, I don't know. Um, I'm very excited either way. You know, if it's just six episodes of Derek Jeter highlights, that's fantastic. But I know it's not. Um, I saw the producer was talking a lot on Twitter because there's a lot of people going like, E-e-e-e-e-e. a lot of Derek Jeter haters in the world. I think we're all aware of that. Um, but the producer was kind of talking about how, yes, it's going to be about baseball, but it's going to be about, you know, mental health. It's going to be about racism. It's going to be about so much more than just baseball, which I knew it was going to be. You know, you don't enlist ESPN and the people who made The Last Dance to just make a, a highlight reel. You know, you can hire John Boy to do that. You don't even need to hire John Boy to do it. He'll probably just do it. Um, so I am very, very excited to see what it's about. I can't wait to commit my energy to it. Um, it's going to come out probably in 2022. I'm going to be graduating college. That's a scary sentence. Um, but if I'm at school, I'm definitely gonna be watching it alone because I'll be just completely surrounded by Red Sox fans. But I think that, you know, the, the MJ documentary was not just one for Chicago Bulls fans. And I know that, you know, people are going to argue that MJ had a bigger impact on the sport than Derek Jeter did. That's here or there. Um, You know, I know a lot of people that the only baseball player they know is Derek Jeter. So, you know, whatever. Um, I think that it's going to be really good just to watch. Even as it, you know, the CC Sabathia one I felt like was for Yankee fans. You know, not many people who were not Yankee fans were going to watch Under the Grapefruit Tree. But the Derek Jeter one, called The Captain, I don't know if I said that, um, people will watch. And I also want to say that I freaking called it that they were going to make a Derek Jeter documentary. I made a post December 29th highlighting the fact that there should be a, a Derek Jeter one, a Ken Griffey Jr. one, and an Albert Pujols one, who we will talk about that man at the end in a little bit. But I just wanted to say that I called it, so that's that on that. Um, big news, big news, big news is that Glaber Torres has been cleared and will play tonight, Wednesday night. He's out of his COVID protocols. Apparently he's the only one out of the positive tests that have been cleared to come. Um, Don't know if that's because, you know, he tested positive already in December. He has the vaccine. I don't know what caused him to be cleared first or if they pushed him forward because he's a starter. That would be great. Um, But hopefully we never have to see Tyler Wade on the infield again this year unless extraneous circumstances. And yes, you heard that from me. Tyler Wade is a base runner. He's a base runner. He is a base runner. Anyway, on to how I'm going to break this episode up. All right. Let's, let me give you the, the, the one, two, three, four. There's four sections. I'm going to talk about pitching. I'm going to talk about hitting. I'm going to talk about what the hell is going on in the outfield. And then we're going to hit around the league. All right. Let's dive into this. Pitching. I just want to say that, unfortunately, Michael King has finally given up runs, which to me is very disappointing. People might say that if Michael King was getting consistent innings and not being sent up and down and up and down and up and down, Maybe he would have given up runs earlier. Maybe he would have seen 13.1 innings earlier because that's as many as he went without throwing, scoring a run. Um, And these are all very good points and valid facts. Um, However, that didn't happen. So it feels like Michael King went 
forever without giving up a run um, when it was, in fact, just 13.1 innings. But I just, listen, I love Michael King. I think he deserves a spot. I know we have like a thousand and one effective relievers at this point, but I think he's a good long, like long-term reliever, middle reliever. You know, he can go for a couple innings, he can go for three, four, five innings if you need him. Um, and the way that our starting pitching has been kind of struggling recently, I think that that's a tool that we need until they sort their shit out. Corey Kluber and Garrett Cole are now brothers in a club. Um, the 1500 strikeout family. Kluber also notched a good win against the Orioles. Kluber's start against the Orioles I thought was very strong. It looked good. The offense took a little bit to get to him. But, I mean, he's not going to be Garrett Cole hold a team to one run. You know, that's not who Corey Kluber is going to be anymore. And he's been very open about that. He's like, I'm more of a, like, an up movement ball, an off ball, off speed pitcher. Garrett Cole is going to shut teams down. He's aware of that. And I think the team is aware of that. We just never seem to score when we freaking need to score. Um, but this is about pitching. This is about pitching. This is about pitching. So congratulations, Corey Kluber, for joining Garrett Club. Garrett Club. It's Garrett's Club. For joining Garrett Cole in the 1500 strikeout club. There's the sentence. Talking about things and talking about Garrett Cole is that Mr. Cole also broke another record. So as we know, Corbin Burns went 52 strikeouts without a walk. But Garrett Cole said, hold my fucking beer and beat it less than a week later. He beat it just Monday night. Is that Monday? Yeah, I think it was Monday. Yeah, Monday night. He beat it Monday night. He got 61 strikeouts before a walk on a bad start. And here's here's really what I wanted to talk about with pitching. Because let's talk about bad starts, right? So Garrett Cole gave up four runs in an inning and had a bad start. Jordan Montgomery against the Orioles had a bad start. And I think the thing that I want to talk about is the reaction to both of these starts. Montgomery has his bad start against the Orioles and Twitter is raging saying, you know, we should have Davey, well, we should have Garcia, we should have King throwing, we should have Schmidt. Just throwing all of these names, saying Monty should be traded, sent down so much. And Cole has his bad start on Monday, and people say everyone's allowed to have a bad start. He's a human, blah, blah, blah. Whoa. So you're more forgiving with your pitcher that you're paying 370 whatever million dollars than Jordan Montgomery, who you're... I don't know his contract off the top of my head, but definitely not paying that kind of money. The only lefty in rotation not giving that kind of money. You know, Monty is currently sitting at a 4.75 ERA, which is just a little bit over his career ERA of 4.23. He is right on track to have a similar year that he's had his entire career. So he's not doing anything extraneous. He's playing on a team that is normally offense heavy. He should be able to, with our offense performing at their best, he should be able to give up three runs, four runs, 
and us still either compete in the game or win the game. Sure, it wasn't his best start. Sure, we could have had better stuff from him, but we've had pretty good stuff from him all year, and he gives us one bad start, and people are all over him. Garrett Cole has one bad start, and people are like, ah, you know, he's human. And listen, I get it. I understand that we love Garrett Cole. I'm not saying that we should start hating Garrett Cole if he has a bad start. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there's no need to have such a short leash with Jordan Montgomery or, okay, maybe with Jamison Tyone. He hasn't quite shown himself fully quite yet. Uh, he, but Jordan Montgomery has been a, a solid four, three, four, five rotation guy for us. He's never going to be that ace. That's Garrett Cole's job. We know that. But don't forget, Jordan Montgomery had a beautiful start in Tampa. You know, it's not like he has done two back-to-back bad starts. He had one bad start. Just like Garrett Cole had one bad start. And sure, Garrett Cole's good starts are one or no runs. And Montgomery's is two, three, you know, zero to three runs. Whatever. They're different pitchers. You can't expect Montgomery to give up the same amount of runs as Cole. They're not, they're in two, they're like in the same league, but two different leagues. You know, Garrett Cole is one of the best to do it right now. Jordan Montgomery's good, but he's not one of the best to do it. You need to adjust your rating system. You can't just get, I don't know. It just really frustrated me to see people so mad at Jordan Montgomery after one bad start and so chill after one bad start from Garrett Cole. I'm not saying get mad at Garrett Cole. I want to bring that up a lot. I think you just need to, I think we need to like meet in the middle a little bit. We shouldn't be so okay with Garrett Cole giving up four runs. Listen, the Yankees should have scored more than four runs that day against like the worst pitcher in the damn league. But we we also can't hold Jordan Montgomery to Garrett Cole standards. We need to meet in the middle and say, you know, bad start. We need it to be better next time. And and that's it. No need to rip Monty apart and be like, he shouldn't do this and he shouldn't be allowed. He shouldn't be a Yankee anymore. Why is he still a Yankee? Why is he make? Stop it. Stop it. Step back. Reevaluate what you're saying and realize that he's right on track to do what he's done every year. And you know what? Jordan Montgomery has outlasted pitchers in the Yankee system, so I think the Yankees like what he's doing. So let's just let's just calm down. I didn't realize I was that passionate about Jordan Montgomery. I guess I am, but relax. On a brighter note, my last little pitching note is how much harder can Raldis Chapman possibly throw the ball? Just a question. I do know that he has clocked in at 105. He threw the hardest pitch ever thrown in Major League Baseball. But on Tuesday night, he said, let me throw 103 on the inside corner for strike three, end of the game. Absolutely disgusting. And I was a little nervous. Uh, Chapman threw last night for the first time in three days. 
And the last time he threw before that, he was not even hitting 100. He was just, like, at 96. Um, And apparently he had, like, a hangnail or something. I don't fucking know. But it makes you a little nervous because you're like, okay, this guy is supposed to be Cuban Missile, Chapman Swag, launching the ball in. And he was throwing at, like, 96, 97. I'm like, buddy, I'm getting nervous. They're going to hit the ball. They didn't that time, and they didn't last night, Tuesday night either, because how do you... I'm just trying to get the metrics of how you hit a ball going 103 miles an hour while you are swinging a wooden stick at it. I just, I just want to talk. I just want to understand. I don't know how it works. Um, but hopefully we keep seeing Chappie just crushing it. Could you imagine if he, like... If he throws 105 again this year, I'll be very impressed. I believe his fastest was 105.1 or 0.3 or something. 106? 107? God, that would be absolutely insane. Um, Let's talk about offense. Aaron Judge is getting hot. Which is funny because about a week and a half ago, he was not in the same boat. We can have two weeks. Tom doesn't mean anything to me at the moment. But you know the time I'm talking about when he had like his two for 23 slide. And you're just like, oh God. Oh God. Now he's American League Player of the Week. This, he had four home runs in three games. He's currently in second place behind the absolute freak of nature Shohei Otani, who I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, And he's just, he's just doing it. Um, tonight, Wednesday night, he is DHing. Um, because, you know, why not put three shitty outfielders out there? Um, uh, but it's, it's, it's fun to see. You know, he looks, I don't know, I don't know if anything has actually changed about him, but he looks a lot more confident up there. Like, he walks up and you're like, oh, he's going to hit the crap out of the ball. While, like, in the beginning of the year, I was like, Hope he's gonna hit the ball. Um, it's just, it's it's just so fun to see. Yes, yes, yes. Talking about home runs, Gio Urshela. Name name one person who three years ago, two years ago, would say Gio Urshela is one of the hottest hitting Yankees right now. Maybe if you go three years ago, you know, if you go to like when he was like DFA'd by Cleveland or whatever, just say Gio Urshela is having a fantastic offensive season. He is batting fourth in the major league roster. Nobody would believe you. Um, so like I said, I'm working a full-time job in baseball. So being able to watch baseball has been um, a little bit difficult because I come home and I just want to pass out all the time. Um, and we've already talked about my struggle with watching Yankee baseball. Every time I watch Yankee baseball, they start to lose. They start to forget how to play baseball. It's very upsetting, but I watched the last two, three, four innings of the Oriole game that Gio Rochella ended up pinch hitting in. Um, and I watched and I was like, oh God, if they have fucking Tyler Wade, get up in this inning, they're they're asking to lose the game. 
it would just be it, it's it's suicidal to put Tyler Wade into hit right now and then Gio Urshela came to pinch hit and I was like oh oh baby's gonna tie it up no baby's gonna win it Gio Urshela's gonna win the game and at that point I thought that my curse had been broken but that was very wrong because then I went on to watch the game the next day and they lost the series ender so didn't stopped watching indie baseball just watched highlights and like every now and then um I just I he has he started he started the scoring in every you know Monday night and Tuesday night's game in Texas even though Monday night they literally did not score fucking any runs um they scored I think two runs um and last night he started off the scoring with the double that scored Aaron Judge Tuesday night sorry I keep saying last night like you're gonna remember what day I'm recording this on so sorry um He's just become such an unsung hero for this offense. And the thing is, he always seemed to get overlooked for offense in the past, which makes sense because in Cleveland, that was what struggled and what caused him to get DFA'd. You know, you think of the the Yankees offense, you think of DJ LeMahieu, Luke Boyd, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Judge, Gary Sanchez, Gleyber Torres. You don't think of Gio Urshela originally. In the preseason, nobody was like, oh, got to look out for Gio Rochella getting hot. He said, don't forget about me. Don't forget. And I'm not. I'm not forgetting. He's killing it. And I'm literally just so, so happy to watch him just continue to kill it. Luke Voigt also hit his first home run in his return on Monday night against Texas. Not that it mattered. We uh, lost the game embarrassingly. Um, not embarrassingly, it's just embarrassing to lose to the freaking Rangers, who are a team below 500. Like, but it's a game of failures, is what I have to keep telling myself, and I think a lot of Yankee fans need to learn that too. You know, the game is made up of people failing. So yes, it's frustrating to see people strike out. Yes, it's frustrating to see people not get on base, but that's literally the game. The game is set up for you to fail in literally every position, offensively, defensively. There is no spot where you're like, I have the upper hand here. Never. You are never prepared. And you are set up to fail. These guys are just really good at not failing. But they're still set up to fail. But I digress. Luke Voigt hit his first home run after coming off of the IL from his meniscus. Just so good to see. I just love... Luke Voigt. I love his energy. His vibes are solid. Um, and he's just, he's just a great guy. And I'm glad to see him still have that power and all that jazz. I want to talk a little bit about last night's Ranger game. Let me rephrase that. Tuesday night's Ranger game. Um, because I think we saw a lot of important things offensively. One thing that's important in a bad way is that the Yankees do in fact lead the league in grounding into double plays and it's just frustrating like that's not a fun stat that's not even a stat that I thought would exist ever like ooh, who's leading the league in double plays probably I don't know the fucking Mariners because they're garbage nope it's the Yankees it's the Yankees but we're also like second in home runs and like third in slugging and it's just the way it doesn't add up blows my mind but I wanted to talk about the inning that we put up a five spot. I'm pretty sure it was the fourth inning with a five spot. Um, 
And I think that's the best offense we've ever had. You could see it literally everywhere. Not a five runs, not a single long ball. Aaron Judge single, Geo double, Gary double, and a harsh single. Um, LeMahieu bases clearing double. Florida rocket to right field. That probably would have been a home run in Yankee Stadium. And I think, yeah, that's great. That's fantastic. You know, we see, uh, oh my God, hitting singles and doubles and base hits scores runs. Who'd have thought? Um, and I think one thing that that won't get highlighted much because obviously the exciting thing is the doubles, the bases clearing doubles, the rockets to the fence, is Ryan Lamar's walk with two outs, bases, first and second. But he's the ninth batter. He's got to flip. He's like, right, Michael K's like, you either got to hit the ball, you know, single, foul it off, or walk. I think he's like, hit, get hit, or walk. Which is exactly true. Your one job as the nine batter is to flip that bat batting order over. Especially to flip it over to DJ LeMahieu, who's swinging like 5-12 with the bases loaded. You know? You're swinging that over to the best bat in the American League. Second only to maybe Tim Anderson. Tied with Tim Anderson. They were tied for a very long time last year. Nobody come for my neck. Tim Anderson is a very good bat. Um, And, you know... Obviously, he, you know, it's his time to prove himself. You know, he wants to make the big hit, be the big hit. But getting, you know, knowing his role and getting the order around back to DJ, absolutely huge. And I don't know if people are going to really highlight that, but that is massive and a really great job. By Lamar. The one other thing that I want to talk about is how freaking important Rugnet Odor continues to be to this team. Okay, he came back last night, and you know, you hear people say it all the time. He's not putting up big numbers. He's not. But he just adds an attitude. You know, he didn't play Monday night. The Yankees lost to the Texas fucking Rangers. Let that settle in. With Garrett Cole on the mound and one of the worst pitchers in baseball, no offense, not an overpowering pitcher by any means on the mound. And Yankees lose. Tuesday night, we come out with kind of a garbage lineup. Kind of a garbage lineup. And we win. We freaking win. And you want to know what the change was? It wasn't Jamison Tyone going on the mound for Garrett Cole. No, it's Rugnad freaking Odor. And I stand by that. He's got swag. He had a double and a single, I want to say. An absolutely disgusting double play up in the middle. He just is that clubhouse person that we've been looking for and talking about and how he, you know... Scotty and I have talked about how, you know, we felt we lost that in DD. It was just like a guy for the guys. And Odor has really stepped into that spot. Yeah, he's swinging like a 182. He's not going to be hitting fifth for the team. He's perfectly fine hitting eighth, seven, eighth, eight, nine, whatever. But it's it's his presence that's important. And I just... Mm. 
Never thought I would say I'm so glad Rugnet Odor is a Yankee. Another thing that I never thought would be said. Section three of the episode. What the heck are we doing in the outfield? I'm going to start this off by saying I'm not upset that we gained Wendy Peralta. He has like an ERA of 4.3. He's doing great stuff for us. What I'm saying is, was losing Talkman worth it? And I know what you guys are going to say. He's hitting 200 out in San Francisco. Yeah, you went to a hot start, but he went 0 for 4 last night with like two strikeouts, whatever. Again, game of failure, first of all. And second of all, are you really, really telling me that the rotation of Lamar, Frazier, and Duhar, and Gardner is, is, is good moving forward, right? Because let's say, worst case scenario, Hicks is gone for the year. Knock on wood, but you got to consider it. You're really telling me that that's the four you want to run with? But then again, we've heard quite a few names coming up for the trade deadline. So I'm going to go through some that I've heard, weigh my opinions, and let you come to your own conclusions. First up, we saw him this last, these last uh, few games in Texas is Joey Gallo. Big plus is he's a lefty bat, right? Yankees said they were also looking for left-handed bats for the trade deadline. He plays the outfield in corners. He is one of the best outfield arms in baseball. But what's concerning to me, oh, he's also a 2019 All-Star. What's concerning to me is his 209 batting average, and he is often described as a home run or bust guy. We have enough of those. Rookie, I love you. Doing great over there, buddy, but you have also been described as a home run or bust guy. I just, I think, you know, we watched that fourth inning in Texas. That's a good team. You toss in a home run there, sure, it's easier to score, but look at how well base hits work and how contagious base hits are. That's my one concern with Joey Gallo is, you know, do we need that home run or bust guy? Next up is Starling Marte, who's on the Marlins. He's a right-handed batter, which, you know, isn't exactly, you know, if we can get the lefty outfielder all in one swing, that's great. No pun intended, but he's a right-handed batter. Outfielder, obviously, 2016 All-Star. He has a career 286 batting average. I'd take him, but I'd rather him be left-handed. You know, I like everything about it, but that he's not left-handed. I'm not trying to be picky, but actually that's a lie. I'm being picky. Next up, I think one of the best options, if not the best option. Actually, let me, let me rephrase that. The best realistic option. Ketel Marte. Ketel Marte. Whatever you want to, however you want to pronounce it. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Switch hitter, middle infielder, and center fielder. 2019 All-Star, career 285. He's currently hurt, but the Diamondbacks are saying he's due back any day. This is the guy that I want to see. All right, because one, if he could play middle infield and center field, that means we don't have to have Tyler Wade. I've said it. I said it again then we don't need to carry Tyler Wade. Center field, Catal Marte is a player. I like him a lot. I think that he is worth it. You know, he was 
Leaving talent on the Diamondbacks is upsetting. Which I feel bad for saying that because I don't want to disrespect the Diamondbacks in any way, but I'd rather the talent be somewhere it would be appreciated. You know? Um, so I think that our number one ta- target should be Ketel Marte. Not Starling Marte, Ketel. Kettle. Next option, Chris Bryant. He's a right-handed batter. He plays third base and outfield. He was an all-star in 2015, 2016, and 2019, and a career 281. Scotty and I have talked about it. We're, we think that the Cubs are willing and almost looking to trade him by the deadline. But again, the only thing I don't like is he's a right-handed bat. We're looking for a left-handed bat. If we can combine that into the same person, great. The next two I saw in a few graphics, and I, I, I love the, the idea of them, but I don't think that it would happen, and that is Mike Yastrzemski, who's a left-handed outfielder um, and swinging a 272, but I absolutely do not think that the Giants would ever let him go. I really don't. I think they love him far too much to let him go. And the last person I saw is actually very interesting, and people said it would be like a reincarnation of the Babe Ruth trade, this one with a small pit stop, is Andrew Benintendi. Um, Again, he bats left-handed. He's an outfielder. I absolutely doubt Kansas City would let him go. They're having a very... They started off with a pretty good year, and I think that they're planning on doing a rebuild around Benintendi. He has a career 274, which I know is shocking, considering last year I think he swung like a 109. Um, this year he's he's swinging at 283, so he seemed to figure it out, but I don't think that uh, Casey is looking to get rid of Benny anytime soon. So uh, I think if we're looking to trade for a left-handed bat and an outfielder, or if it's an either-or situation, I say get both in Kettle Marte and get him out of the desert, bring him to the Bronx, and I think he'd, I think he'd work. Um, again, I'm, I'm sure... I freaking hope um, we're looking into all of our options. Joey Gallo, I heard a lot about just because maybe it was just because we were playing him this week and people were like, oh, look out, Yankee playing right field for the Rangers. I wouldn't be upset. You know, he's got a cannon. But I think that there are other options and I don't think we should just lock on to Joey Gallo. Or I should do a little bit of reverse psychology because it seems like every time Yankees Twitter finds someone that they want to be a Yankee they never end up being a Yankee so maybe I should start saying that I want Joey Gallo to be a Yankee so then he won't be a Yankee so the Yankees pick up Kettle Marte is that is that too big brain might be a little too big brain um let's head around the horn around the league I don't want to sit here for too long obviously I'm talking to myself it's hard to talk to myself I don't know how I've gotten this far talking to myself but um Just some quick little things. This first one is literally just for me. It's not relevant to the rest of baseball at all, but Didi Gregorius went to the 10-day IL, and that just makes me really sad. If you've been following this podcast for a while or not, I'll tell you right now, Didi Gregorius is my absolute favorite Yankee to ever play the game, Um, which I think is totally ridiculous and insane, and I don't know what it is about him. He's just really hooked on to me, and I'm glad that I get to continue watching his career close to home. Um... Yeah, I just, if there's ever any DD news, I promise you it will be reported here. Um, so he's heading to the IL, which is sad, but I'm sure. I'm sure the Phillies will be fine. I think they put up a seven spot to win last night, so they're all right. Um, Jared Kellenick 
made his MLB debut. He is top five Major League Baseball prospect. And as I have learned through work, every source rates their prospects differently. Teams normally rate them higher than like Baseball America or Baseball Reference or whatever. Um, He normally sits around like two or three. I think it seems like he is obviously the Mariners' top prospect. I don't think he did anything his first game, which is whatever. Um, His second game, he hit his first home run. And I think it was his first hit. It was his first hit. Let me read my notes properly. It was, in fact, his first hit. Unfortunately, he is stuck on the Mariners, who we'll talk about a little bit again later, got no hit for the second time in 13 days this week. So that sucks. But maybe... He was, he's a part of a, a lawsuit with Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball Player Association in a lawsuit that he should win about manipulating arbitration and, you know, rookie contracts and, and playing time so that the Mariners would have control over him for longer. I don't have a solid grasp on this situation to give you a very descriptive explanation, but I'm, there are definitely many, many articles out there covering it. If you want to have a more in-depth situation, so maybe he'll be able to be uh, rescued from Seattle a little bit quicker. Um, Albert Pujols, the uh, last time that I was on a show, he was DFA'd. I don't know when this happened. I think this happened this week. But he was picked up by the Dodgers because why the hell not? You know, everything that I heard was he was talking to the Cardinals and the Cardinals wanted him in, like, this mixed mentor-player role, um, but he apparently thought that he had a little bit more in the tank and he wanted to be a player, and obviously he's not going to be an everyday player over in L.A. Max Monsi plays first base. Yoshi Susugo, who they just traded for with the Rays, plays first base. Matt B, they have first base depth, and I would have assumed he would have gone to an American League team so that he could just DH. And, you know, try to reach his 700 home runs if he would be able to reach that. I don't, I don't have exact faith that he would. But if, he, if that's what he thinks that he's, he's, he's striving for. Um, but he chose to go to the Dodgers in the National League. Um, and, you know, he picked up an RBI. So he did something. Um, very interesting and odd choice. But I don't have much else to say about that. Obviously, I have not been following the Dodgers super closely this year. Um, just had, you know, other stuff going on. But um, moving on, I think the hottest topic so far this week has been Yerman Mercedes. Um, so the White Sox are beating the Twins like 15 to 5 or 13 to 5, something, something very much to very little. And at that point, you know, the Twins put in La Tortuga, uh, position player to pitch and Mercedes was up and he got to a 3-0 and count and he hit a three-run home run on a 3-0 and count and Tony La Russa, the manager was very 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 upset and a lot of people are upset actually the broadcaster had something to say about it La Russa had a lot to say about it um, the twins ended up throwing at him today and got tossed um, 
And I just want to talk about this because, again, this is another one of those unwritten rules that all of a sudden are becoming an issue these last two years is that there is this whole new rule book of, of rules that aren't written and it's just like courtesy and whatever, um, which is very frustrating. But LaRusso said what he did was wrong and he's okay with the twins throwing at him. And I think that that is absolutely ridiculous. The thing that LaRusso can be mad about is if he did in fact give Mercedes the take sign and he ignored it. But that's something that you talk about in private. Okay, Yerman Mercedes, this is his first year out of AAA. He is on a rookie contract and he needs to make his mark on the league to make money. You know, if he was competing for the home run title and he was, but you know, it was him and Shohei Otani at the top of the American League. And Shohei Otani beats him by one home run because he didn't swing at that ball. That's money off of a contract, you know? Tony LaRussa is just an absolute dingus. I don't even know how to explain how frustrating this is. You know, first of all, LaRussa has messed up written rules of baseball when he had a pitcher run the bases. So let's straighten out our written rules of baseball before we talk about unwritten rules of baseball. That was in like an extra inning games. He thought the pitcher had to go. Idiot. Um, there's also now going to be a lot of clubhouse tension, which we should welcome because they are coming to the Bronx. But Lance Lynn kind of stepped up and said something about how you know, he thought it was fair of Mercedes to to swing the bat and that what LaRusa had said was unfair. And LaRusa's response was, that's why Lynn has a locker and I have an office. Uh, I'm sorry. You don't have an office without the guys that have lockers. Like, I d- I've never heard a manager do so many things wrong in a row and it's just his teammates have his back Mercedes you know Tim Anderson has been very vocal about how he supports what he's doing Lance Lynn obviously showed his support Trevor Bauer even showed his support you know he said if a guy you know on a 3-0 count swing away hit a bomb if you didn't want them having an easy pitch to hit don't put a position player in and I mean, we've had this discussion many, many times. Screw these unwritten rules of baseball. I saw something that was like, okay, if on a 3-0 count, the pitcher's going to throw one right down the middle and I'm not supposed to swing out of courtesy, then on an 0-2 count, the pitcher should throw one way out of the zone so and I, you know, and give me a ball out of courtesy. This is not a gentleman's game. This is not a courteous game. That's like Manny Machado getting a suspension for his slide the other day. That's perfectly legal. Sure, it's not the clean way to play baseball, but what he did was legal, and it was either he was going to slide and do that or he was going to run into the player. Right? Okay, it's not written into the rules that if you are avoiding slide into the Do we need to write down every single thing so that we are micromanaged on the field? No. You're supposed to play the game of baseball. And a batter's job playing the game of baseball is to hit the damn ball and hit it hard. 
we said this with the Tatis home run, and I'll say it again here, and then I'll be done with it. He didn't swing at the ball saying, I'm swinging at this because I'm going to hit a home run. Him and Tatis, for this literal same situations, both swung at the ball as hard as they swing at any other ball. Yerman Mercedes is hitting the goddamn shit out of the ball. Okay? He's not just going to be like, dee, 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 let me hit the ground ball. He's going to hit the ball. And it's more embarrassing to strike out against a position player. Remember when Freddie Freeman struck out against Anthony Rizzo? He was like, ha, 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 I'm going to laugh because I know I'm very good and that's my friend Rizzo. But, like, Yerman Mercedes is trying to get paid. Yerman Mercedes is trying to make a name for himself as a rookie this year. He needs to hit the ball. And he's going to hit the ball. And I don't care if it's 3-0 or it's 0-2. He's going to swing and hit the ball. And I think Tony Larusa should shut up. That's all I have to say about that. Um, Kevin Pilar. The next few things are, are pretty quick. And then I swear I'll be out of your hair. Kevin Pilar got hit in the face. And broke many bones in his face. Which blows my mind because like. Bryce Harper got hit in the face and nothing happened. It's so wild how shit like that works. Um, and Pilar came in the next day and was like, am I in the lineup? Um, and he handed the lineup card over. And he he sent a really uh, nice text to, I believe it was a guy in the Braves, uh, the Braves pitcher saying, like, it's, it, I know you're going to feel responsible for it, but you didn't do it on purpose. You know, I believe this is the second time Pilar's been hit in the face. He's like, it happens. And I think that he handled it very well. And I wish him a speedy recovery. He's having reconstructive surgery um, as soon as all the swelling goes down. But, man, he looks rough. (laughs) He looks rough. Um, Talking about injuries, um, this is just upsetting just because he is such a talent. And I know that he sometimes gets lost because he is on the friggin' Angels. Mike Trout is out six to eight weeks with a calf strain. That's just upsetting for the sport of baseball. You know, he's a real competitor. Um, obviously I like, there's no way to like describe Mike Trout and just be like, oh, he's a real competitor. No shit. He's a generational talent. Um, but his, wish him a speedy recovery. Can't wait to see him back on the field. But Shohei Otani, on the other hand, Mike Petrelio, I want to say that's how you pronounce it, wrote this absolutely phenomenal article. Um, it's on MLB.com. I highly recommend it literally everybody reading it, um, that is calling a way too soon MVP, right? And and he's naming it Shohei Otani. And he's basically saying, if you're not talking about Shohei Otani, you're too late to currently to talk about Shohei Otani. He's currently leading um, the majors in home runs. He has 14 as of Wednesday, May 19th. He's starting pitching tonight. He's leading off tonight. He has, like, the third highest war in the league. He's just, he's doing it all. And, yes, he's not the greatest hitter in the league. He's not the greatest pitcher in the league. But he can do both. You know, you never see a DH win MVP. It's hard to see a pitcher win MVP because they're just doing one thing. He's pitching, and he's hitting, and he's stealing bases, and he's leading the league in home runs, and he's hitting the ball hard. He's doing it all, and it's just there's no possible way to talk about Shohei enough because he's just doing it all. 
Um, now, one other thing, congratulations to Spencer Turnbull. As he no-hits the Mariners, like I said, the Mariners have been no-hit for the second time in 13 days. I think the, the one crazy thing is he led the majors in losses in 2019. And that just makes this such a beautiful story and shows like the, the rebuild that Detroit is going through. Because it's not like Turnbull was throwing bad. He just had no run support then. Here he had run support. He had an amazing defensive play by his third baseman. And it was just beautiful. I loved it. Um, that's all I, I, I'm going to say that's all I have for you this week because I literally sat and talked to you for almost an hour by myself, but I just needed to catch up on baseball. I haven't been able to talk about baseball. I've not been able to talk about major league baseball. I've been able to talk about other baseball, but I've been able to talk about major league baseball, which has been great. Um, if you liked this, please don't forget to share it, send it to anybody that you think would enjoy it. Um, it helps us, it helps me. I don't know who else it helps, but it makes you feel like a good person. Also, if you could follow us on Instagram at it is at pinstripe.podcast. We post daily lineup cards, almost daily scorecards. I kind of like have to go to sleep because of work. I'm just I'm getting used to this nine to five thing, guys. I'm a 21 year old getting used to a nine to five job. It's weird. I need to go to bed by like 11 o'clock. I don't like it. Um, but we post daily lineup cards. We post news breaks. Anything that you need about the Yankees, post it over at Pinstripe Podcast. Give it a follow. That is it for me today. Uh, hopefully next week, Scotty and I can come at you as a team for episode 50. But until then, this has been episode 49 of the Pinstripe Podcast. Bye! Bye!